Hey, what's happening, guys? This is a brand new podcast, Eastman's On The Fly. So this is going to be a fly fishing specific podcast brought to you by Eastman's. I'll be your host, Brian Barney. I've ran the podcast on the hunting side for quite a while now. And uh, I have the same love and passion for the fly rod and traveling around and finding adventure uh, hunting for big brown trout or, or steelhead or whatever the case is. And so I uh, started this podcast. We're going to do a combination of, of solo podcasts, uh, going to have guests on, uh, have my buddies on, and then and then guys I don't know, get to know through the podcast. Um, this fly fishing podcast, I want it to be universal. And uh, there's so much great fly fishing out there to be had. And, and um, so I'm just going to share my personal journey, get good guests on, have authentic conversations. Uh, hopefully you get some insight into your own fly fishing from it. And get you fired up to go on a new adventure you hadn't thought about. Or uh, just be entertained for an hour. So this will be uh, the second episode. I did a solo episode to launch it. Uh, but this episode I have on my first guest. I have on Te- Todd Helms from Eastman's. So Todd's one of my buddies. He's actually my editor over at Eastman's, and he's got a love for the fly rod. He's he's guided for a bit, um, fished a bunch of different rivers, uh, originally from Minnesota. We kind of tell his story. Uh, but then he moved to Wyoming, he loves to fly fish, and so he travels to Montana every year. And I'm located in Montana, and so... Um, yeah, I guess I should state that uh, Eastman's is based out of Powell, Wyoming. Uh, me, Brian Barney, personally, I'm located out of Ennis, Montana. So Todd travels to Montana every year to fly fish. And uh, so last year we were able to connect on, on two or three days of fishing. And uh, we got our money's worth. Uh, we made it into an adventure and uh, we talk about it. Um, some sketchy floats we took and some gnarly storms and also catching some big brown trout. Uh, I, I caught the, the best fish. Well, actually, I was rowing. I netted the best fish of the season, um, and we talk about that. But uh, just a great back and forth, a great conversation. Todd loves to fly fish, fish as much as I do. Super skilled behind the stick and also behind the oars. Uh, so a fun conversation. So I'm really excited to bring this podcast to you guys. I'm going to release it both on uh, Eastman's on-the-fly platform. There'll be three episodes available to start and then one a week. I'm also going to release this podcast on the Eastman's Elevated site. Um, so if you're listening to this on Eastman's Elevated, uh, this is the, the second episode of Eastman's on-the-fly, and you can go get the other episodes. Uh, take me about a week to catch up the, the iTunes and, and Podbean and... Um, Google Play and things, but I'll have it uploaded and ready to go on SoundCloud just as soon as I get approval. It'll be released everywhere else. So super excited to bring this one to you guys. Um, Let me know what you think. Uh, You know, always in the start of the podcast, it's so important. um, Reviews and subscribe um, so we can tell that you guys like it. So let's get this thing rolling. Eastman's on the fly. I'm Brian Barney. The guest today is Todd Helms. Here we go. Cool. Well, should we get right into it? Yeah, let's dive in. I don't have a clue what you want to talk about, but we'll just talk and and I'm game to talk about fishing because it's I'm I'm jonesing for it. <laughs> Perfect. Well, um, welcome to the brand new podcast. This is going to be Eastman's Elevated Fly Fishing or 
Eastman's elevated on the fly. What do you what do you think about titles? You're really good with titles, naming all those articles for me. Oh man, you put me on the spot. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> always. I like, either, I like either one of those. Um, I mean, a lot of what we have. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to think about that one, Brian. And it'll be rolling around in my head as we're talking here. But uh, I kind of like Easton's Elevated on the Fly. I, re- I really do. That's a good one. Oh, cool. Well, we haven't settled on a title yet, but um, both me and you are diehard fly fishermen. And so um, I put you yeah, on the boy. spot for a title. I, you know, I also put you on the spot in the front of the boat to make those casts so you can hook that big brown trout. <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to catch that brown trout if you weren't on the sticks, though, man. <laughs> oh, it's a it's a team effort, isn't it? So fun when you get like a couple like minded guys, and I love like teaming up with a buddy that's got a lot of skill with the rod and a lot of skill behind the sticks. It just makes for such a, such an efficient team, like on the water, doesn't it? Oh man, you know, I came home from the couple of couple of outings that you and I had last summer um, up in your neck of the woods and, and came home from that. And my wife was like, you know, how'd it go? How was fishing with Brian? And I said, it was awesome. It was absolutely incredible. I said, you know, at that time, nobody from the office here had had like any kind of an outing with you. Everything had been like business oriented and business trips and things like that. And nobody gone on a hunt or gone fishing with you, I don't think. And so everybody was kind of like, yeah, well, this would be interesting to see how, you know, how it works. And I, I kind of joked, I said, well, you know, at least if, when we're in a drift boat together, he can't get away from me. So, you, you know, put me on the mountain with him. That's a different story. <laughs> but uh, I just told her, I told my wife, I said, and I told everybody here in the office, I said, it was a blast because it's two like-minded individuals and two individuals with the, with the same skill level in a boat, just, literally hunting heads i mean that's what we were doing we were fishing those big on that salmon fly hatch you know and and we we were like switching off you roll the boat you fish i'll roll the boat you fish you know things like that and it was seamless and it was there was an there was an intensity level to it that was all business but it was fun at the same time and that was one of the things that i loved about fishing with you because you never know when you get into that with, when you get into that, um, you know, a boat or on a stream with somebody that you've never fished with for the first time, you don't know how that's going to go. You know, they could be a complete clown or they might not be, they might be so far out of your class skill-wise that you feel like you don't belong fishing with them or vice versa. And you spend your whole time teaching to be, so, so to get in a boat with somebody that's got similar skill set and knowledge and then the intensity to have a shared white hot focus to hunt those fish that was a blast man i'd 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 be in i'd be in a boat with you any day anytime you ask i'll be there (laughs) well uh that's exactly what you're gonna get we got to do more fishing this summer so we got to get over to the to the big hole over there and catch that hatch man you love it it's such technical fishing and we were gonna do it last year cool it just like the snow came in out. on us, and I got scared. Yeah. I spooked us off of it, and I actually had <laughs> I had a buddy that fished it through the snowstorm, and they caught fish. Oh, cool! So, but cool. Uh, well, it worked out because I mean we got the best of it later on, you know, on the Madison, and so 
And it was awesome. And I got to get you down here, especially, and I know you guys had an epic hopper hatch up there, but, dude, last year down here on the Bighorn in Wyoming, holy smokes. I mean, it was lights out. And I haven't seen it fish as good as it did for a couple of seasons, but it was awesome. I mean, you had to have your game dialed. You had to know what you were doing, just like you do on any stream. But the hopper bite was insane. And and the size of those, the average size of those fish was a blast. So I got to get you down here and repay the favor, man. Yeah, well, uh, we got this podcast now. It's a great excuse to be out all the time. But, no, I'd love to. So you're down in Wyoming at the head office now, and so you moved to Powell, right? Yep, the head office for Eastlands is in Powell, Wyoming. Yep. And we are 20 minutes uh, east, northeast, actually, about 20 minutes, about 30 miles uh, northeast of Cody, Wyoming. So we are, man, we are like, right in the center of all that is trout fishing in Wyoming. You know, Wyoming, we kind of get overshadowed by, by our, you know, bigger brother to the, to the North up there in Montana. (laughs) You guys, you guys have a pretty solid claim on a lot of awesome trout water, but Wyoming's got it going on too. We've got some really good rivers down here and a lot of stuff that I don't think a lot of people know about, and hopefully we can keep it that way, (laughs) but we do have some more well-known water too that, we're blessed, man. Just like you guys are up there. You're kind of, you're kind of in like fly fishing Mecca up there. Yeah, we sure are. But, um, you're right. The way you describe it, that Wyoming's kind of a well-kept secret where everybody's heard of Montana. Um, but we do, we're just in the epicenter where I'm at on the Madison, big hole, the Beaverhead, the Yellowstone, the Missouri, all within reach, you know? And, and, um, so yeah, it's a cool place to be, but you're, you're a lot like I am, Todd, where you've spent a lot of years behind a fly rod. There's a lot of hours behind that fly rod to get that feel, to get that touch with it. So like, where was your experience fly fishing? I knew you came from Michigan, like where, and, and you guided in, in Thermop, I believe. Right. And so maybe just walk me through like some of your beginnings with the fly rod and where this, this love came from. Oh man, you're going to take me way back, but I, I can answer that question to the day specific day. I remember when I was, oh man, I think I was eight. Yeah, I was eight years old and it was in June right after school got out. My dad and a couple of his, couple of his, um, coworkers, Took all, they all had sons the same age. They're all my age and a couple of them a little younger. And we all went to this cabin in the middle of nowhere in the upper peninsula of Michigan where I grew up. And I'll never forget. It was, you know, we spent four or five days out there and we fished and played around, you know, just kind of blown off steam after a long school year. And I'll never forget. My dad was the only one that fly fished. And I remember, I remember to this day watching him walk out on a beaver dam overlooking this big pond and all us kids were fishing the creek below this beaver dam and we were catching a lot of fish but we were having fun and dad walked out and he didn't have much for gear you know back in the back in those days this would have been the the early 80s um and probably 85 i think 84 85 and i remember he had a yellow eagle claw fiberglass fly rod probably seven foot five weight six weight somewhere in there 
And he started casting off this beaver dam, and he was fishing a royal wolf. And he caught this brook trout. And it was probably 14, 15-inch fish. It was a really nice brookie. And I was mesmerized, Brian. I was absolutely transfixed by that scene of my father casting a fly so gracefully out across this beaver pond and then catching a fish on this on this dry fly. So I saw the whole thing, saw the fish rise, saw dad set the hook and fight the fish and bring it in. And then, you know, took it back to camp and ate it. There was a lot of catch and keep um, back in those days, especially on beaver pond brookies. But that, that was the moment. That was the moment, man. And from there I started right in. I mean, as soon as we got home, I wanted him to teach me and he showed me a little bit and, you know, to my dad's credit, he's the one that got me started He's not a he's not he was not an expert fly fisherman. It's just something that he liked to do, and I kind of took it from there. And I was in the backyard snapping the heads. You know, once I got the casting down, I was in the backyard snapping the heads off dandelions um, every day. And I we had a little creek below the house, and I went down there. But that was just kind of chubs and suckers and rough fish, and uh, lots of farm ponds with bluegills and things like that. We had trout growing up, but we had to drive to get to them. And from there, it just kind of just kept growing and growing and growing. And, I mean, all the way through high school, all the way through college, into my into my 20s, I guided in my 20s. Um, I was a fly fishing specialist for a sporting goods retailer in upper Michigan, well, in the upper peninsula of Michigan. I uh, did some seminars back in the day for them. Worked with some reps that I don't even know or if they're still around, but um, that was kind of the Michigan scene back in the day. And uh, actually knew Kelly Gallup when he lived in Michigan before he before he moved out and became your neighbor. Um, knew him pretty well back in there. I was I'm a lot younger than Kelly. Um, not that that Kelly's old by any stretch. He's such a good fisherman, isn't he? Man, oh man. Oh my gosh, man. My goodness and. Yeah, here I was, this starry-eyed kid, because, I mean, back in the day, he was he was a stud way back then, you know, and I was this starry-eyed kid walking through his fly shop door, the Troutsman in Traverse City, and uh, he's just a great guy. He was great to me and, and always would answer my questions and this, that, and the other thing, and really was a large influence on me um, wanting to guide and, and wanting to take my fishing to that, that next level, and... I just kind of worked at it. Moved to Wyoming in oh, 2009 and started as a teacher and started guiding in the summers um, out here. So I started over in Sheridan, Wyoming, guiding on some private water for Fly Shop of the Bighorns. Uh, was owned then by Roger Miller, who's now actually the mayor of Sheridan, Wyoming. Um, I think Peter Widener owns the shop now, and the shop's taken off, done, doing real well. But I got it on some of their water. I did a lot of walk and wade trips in the mountains over there um, in the Bighorns. That was a lot of fun. Talk about cutting your teeth. You know, you'd pack an entire lunch and drinks and all fly fishing gear for the day up into the mountains, into these little streams, and miles and miles up in there. After a summer of that, you're in pretty good shape, you know. But, um, yeah, then moved to Thermopolis for a different teaching job, and I started guiding on with, with out of a drift boat. And that brought a whole other set of a whole other learning curve, man, learning how to, how to be efficient in a boat, 
and put your clients on fish on new water and a new system. And yeah, it's been in my blood for since I was eight years old. And I could, I mean, I sit here and tell you all you probably feel an hour and a half worth of information, but it's just, you know, that's the background. So I hope that's kind of what you were looking for. Oh, that is perfect. Yeah. Uh, So many thoughts on, on what you had to say. So like when you first, when you when you first got hooked on fly fishing, your dad came out to the beaver pond, and the kids weren't getting them with the lures and the spinning rods. But there there's something with a fly rod. It, it seems you can be more efficient with spinning gear and tackle. Same thing with steelhead. You can be more efficient and cover the water, but to be a fly fisherman and, and uh, dedicate yourself to the fly rod and learning the tools of the trade, whether that's nymphing, streamer fishing, dry fly fishing, you, you pick up a higher understanding of what's going on in the waters with the hatches coming off and when the fish eat and correct depth and where big fish come from. And it's it's never an accident to catch a big fish. You always pick pay attention to the bugs he ate, where he ate at, where he was sitting. But there's something about a fly rod that hooked me as well. And once you start to get good with it, it's like a, uh, uh, you know, like, like an Indian with just one bow, you know, he's really good with it. You know, it's like um, a guy that commits to the fly rod, you just understand it better and you get really good at like meshing in with the ecosystem. And then you catch more fish than anybody out there because you're more tuned into what's going on, a, a higher understanding. Don't you feel that's the way it is with the fly rod? Yeah, you know, I don't think that's I, – I do I do agree with you completely, Brian, and I don't think that comes easily. You know, I think that's – I think you're talking about something that is you, – you've attained a level of fly fishing that, you know, people work – people fish their whole lives to get to, and some people don't ever get there. You know, um, but I do completely agree with you when you're in the, when you, when you've dialed that up and you're there, you're in a, you're, you're in tune with a river system, especially once you know it and get to know it a little bit, you're in tune with it in a way that people that are just out hiking, taking photos or just casually interacting and, and casually recreating. It's, it's different. It's different. And, and I think I'll take that a step further too. I think, that because you're in tune with it at that level, you care for the river system and you care for those fish more and you because you have such a vested interest in seeing the health of that system and what's right for it. You know, I there's some issues down here in Wyoming. There's issues everywhere. On every, every river's got issues, um, whether they're political, social, or, you know, environmental. But there's some issues here that we could talk about that I, I, I'm hands down – um, probably don't have very popular opinions because I really want to do, I really want what's best for those fish because I'm so in tune with what's going on. I see them, you know, you're out there all the time, you're fishing, you figure I can't be the only person. I know you've got pet fish. We'll put it out in quotation marks because you catch the same fish or you move the same fish or you see the same fish um, throughout the season or maybe season after season. And it's like you come to know they're like your neighbors and you want to take care of them and you become really in tune with what's going on out there. So I, yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying with, about that. Yeah. Well, and, and, um, it's, it's time and experience on the water. And as you were talking, as you started to move to Thermop guiding, like, and started doing it out of a drift boat, um, you, 
it, it's a whole nother skill in itself is those drift boats and the different lines. Boy, you can be so effective out of a drift boat. Can't you like fishing where the fish are really targeting them? Well, to the, yeah, absolutely. To the point where there's whole sections of rivers that, you know, where you are, especially on the Madison, the, the wade section, you can't fish out of a boat. You can't fish out of a moving craft there. You have to, you can float stuff as you and I did last year in a very hairy experience <laughs> that we may want to get into later on. That was, man, that was a crazy afternoon. But, uh, um, you know, because you can be so effective, you can reach water that weight anglers can't reach, especially on these western rivers that are big, and guys really may not be able to wade out to, you know, say a, say a gravel bar that's in the middle of the river surrounded by deep, fast water. Wade guys aren't going to touch that. You know, and drift boat guys can get to all that stuff. And I think that's really why you, why they're so popular out here. Um, as opposed to where I grew up, uh, you didn't see guys, not a lot, not everybody had a boat. And in fact, I didn't have a boat to fish out of in Michigan until I was in my twenties. And even then it wasn't a, it wasn't a drift boat. It was a jet sled for running up and down the rivers, fishing for steelhead and salmon. Um, some of those big, those big Lake Michigan tributaries, but there's a, there's something about a drift boat, man. It's freeing. It opens up so much water to you that you otherwise can't get to. And I completely agree that you're so effective. You know, I think back to that first day that you and I floated down the bank we uh, on the Madison and we'd never fished together. And you're just, you're like, I'll row. We'll switch off later. And I said, all right, cool. And I could tell, you know, you're feeling me out as to, what I can do with a rod and I'm seeing how you're handling the boat and how you're approaching things. And then when, by the time we switched off, it was like we were literally assassinating fish from the front of the boat. I mean, it was <laughs> awesome. I think, that, I think that was your term actually, but it's so effective because you know, you can, if you got somebody like you that's good on the sticks, they can slow an angler. They can slow that boat down. An angler can, can a lot of times even get multiple shots at a drift. You know, say you get a fish to come up and look. Um, you got a guy that, that can pull on the on the sticks. He can keep you there in some places to get you multiple shots of the fish. Just the way you can set up and fish those flies from the front of a moving boat. Ah, it's it is a thing of beauty. There's no doubt about it. Oh, it's so true. Yeah, you're working together to catch those fish, and so that's exactly what we do. Teamed up, work together in the front, and yeah, the the rowers working just as hard as the angler to try to get them to spots. And a lot of times that drift boat it is more effective because the guy behind the sticks is running the right lines. And I know on the Madison, like with different bank lines, different center lines. I can run a different line through a hole and catch fish five different ways through there, but you kind of find your your way that you like right. to favor where the fish are sitting and in tune with it. But yeah, man, I just love throwing it out of drift boat out of a drift boat, and there's just nothing funner than with a good buddy and joking around as you're going down and laughing and hooking fish. And like you say, we come up with different terms as we're fishing. There's a you already mentioned one, and um, high def was when that sunlight was really <laughs> shining def. in, and it just showed those fish come up, and, and it was uh, it, it was like watching a high def TV when you see it. So we're always coming up with these turns, but yeah, man, it's just an absolute riot. And um, you know, you talked earlier about going up to those wade sections, and so a lot of the fishing nowadays, like you're in it for your own experience, and you have fun, and you fish hard no matter where you float or how you do it. 
but you're trying to nail those floats. You're trying to get on and really get into the hatch and really get those fish. And when you really are into them, that's when the big boys eat too because, you know, they don't make oh, mistakes. Man. They're not going to eat a salmon fly when there's no salmon fly hatch out. But if the bugs are all over and landing on the water and he's already eaten 10 of them, you better believe that 24 is going to come up and eat your bug. And so, like, we teamed up for a couple days Went up top, yeah. We got them, got them good that first day. You know, they all kind of mixed together. I just remember the high points. I remember we floated with my dad on a float. Didn't yeah, really get them too awesome. good. Yeah, we got we we landed some fish and good fishing and got some rises. But then me and you decided to go up, and and this is like um, you have to play to the people sometimes. And so your put ins or your right, takeouts, right. you're trying to get in front of other drift boats. What I know too is that these wade fishing sections. A lot of these guides, they can't take their clients to the wade fishing areas. Now, some do, but it's a lot tougher to have a client that doesn't have a lot of skill with a fly rod to get them fit to fish from the bank, get the long drifts, get the mends. It's easier out of a drift boat where he only has to cast 20 feet and he can mend and then kind of float down with the boat or whatever as he's going, you know. And so right, um, right. those wade sections – I feel like they get fishing pressure, but they don't have like a lot of pros on them. You know, they, they've got a lot of weekend anglers and there's definitely some good fishermen that are fishing those wade sections, but none of the guides are really fishing them and the pressure's kind of off. And so that's why we went up there. And so we could float, it's a wade only section, but you can float your drift boat and then stop your drift boat. And Montana has high water laws. And so you can walk in the high well, waters. Well, you can of the try river. to float your drift boat, right? <laughs> you can you can try to float your drift boat. That's a no joke stretch in a river for a drift boat. Put a hard side in there. You got to know what you're doing. You know, I mean, your 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 drift boat's like a Ferrari, dude. That thing is super quick and sporty, and you're really good on the oars. But I was still standing in the front of that boat, giving you direction, spot and lines for you. That, I mean, with a hard side, that's a you better be on your you better be on it to float that section you know that's that's that intensity that you were talking about right is that we're going for it we're all in and not only did we do that we put in right in front of a giant thunderstorm that was coming in too (laughs) um but yeah it's it's like uh rowing whitewater in a drift boat and you're just tacking around all the rocks but there's a lot of fall to it and you just can't make any mistakes in that hard boat and i told you i said I've ran it a couple times in a drip boat. I know it'll go through at these flows, you know. Let's let's put on and do it. And we did it, and we didn't – I don't even think we bumped a rock through there. I had you spotting no. in front, which you can read water as good as I can, keeping us the rights and the lefts and around those rocks. And then we went down and rode it, and we caught a couple nice fish there before that, that thunderstorm blew us up. Yeah, yeah, and that – I mean, that was just the luck of the draw. You know, we knew we were going to cut it tight that day. And and then after the thunderstorm, we caught some decent fish, but it definitely, the, the temps had dropped and the fish were, I think those fish had switched, you know, I think that knocked the, I think that knocked the salmon flies down pretty good that afternoon. And they were, they were definitely on the caddis there by the time we finished up. And I think if we were, if we'd have been really hungry, we probably could have gotten after them on the caddis a little bit, but it's hard to give up that big bug, you know, when you, when they're, when they're looking for it. It's hard to put the big bug down. It really is. That's right. You caught that 20-inch brown off that little riffle right off that island. Remember that one? That was crazy. He's in like, what was it, like five inches of water right there? <laughs> I mean, 
just sitting on that inside corner right there, just like the inside yep. current break, right? But it didn't even look like a spot yep. I wanted to throw my fly, and pretty soon you're attached to a giant brown coming out of the water out of there. Yeah, it was crazy. It surprised me, too. I was honestly – I heard it – you know, when I moved out west, Brian, um, long – I don't know how many years ago now, 12? Uh, yeah, I think 12 years ago. Um uh, when I first moved, when I first moved out here and started fishing some of these big Western rivers, you know, I'm a Midwest guy, our, our fish are all structure related or big, deep holes or undercut banks. I mean, the same stuff out here, but even more so. And, and the middle of the day, you might as well go play golf or take a nap or work or whatever, because a lot of times fishing in the middle of the day is pretty ho-hum. It's that first thing in the morning and last thing in the evening, and a lot of our hatches took place at night. That was when a lot of our really good fishing happened. And so out here was a big learning curve because you walk up on these great big western rivers, and they're broad. And at first for a Midwestern guy or a Great Lakes angler or even an East Coast guy that's fishing, used to fishing stuff with structure, he looks at those rivers and he goes, okay, where do I fish? And so, I mean, I did a lot of, lot of brain picking on different – guides and outfitters and fly shop workers and owners and you name it and one of the best pieces of advice that i ever got about fishing out west these big western rivers is if you think is if you walk up to a piece of water and you think it's too shallow to hold a fish throw your fly in there before you walk through it and that piece of advice has put a lot of nice trout in the net for me over the years you think you could see them laying there, or you think you oh, it's too shallow. And I've caught fish out of water that you just you just ninety percent of dudes just walk through it. And I don't remember it was a fly shop owner that gave me that advice, and I don't remember who it was now. But I'd like to go back and really thank that person because that's uh, that was gold. It, it really was, and that that fish you're talking about was a perfect example of that. Yeah, that's a good point, Todd. That's a good lesson learned. I float this couple stretches or one in the Madison I can really think of where it's kind of like I call it the flats the whole way it's just, you know there isn't much character to it and I know what you're talking about as far as character I come from western rivers where they're easy to read where the fish hold I got out to the Madison right. I was kind of lost it was a hundred mile riffle I didn't really know where to fish when I started you know I'd actually oh, drive up to the Gallatin because there is I could read the water better and I could catch fish up there so I'd drive an hour to yeah. a worse fishing river I mean the Gallatin has some good fishing don't get me wrong but I drive an hour right. and then right. an hour back from the Madison to go fish the Gallatin because I could read the water better but yeah it does take a while yeah. to get in tune with it and just like you're saying it does not take that much water to hold a trout and it doesn't take that much water to hold a big trout that Cameron Flats area that I'm talking about I love to throw streamers in that area, and it's amazing. Sometimes you throw that thing to the bank, and the minute that fly hits the water or on the first strip, you have a brown explode on it, and it can be a big 23, 24-inch brown, and it, it's holding in a foot of water you know, right off that edge. It's amazing how little water they can hold on, so that's a great point. Yeah, and I, I think that those fish, <clears throat> it's, and it's the same way on every western and I say Western, I mean, what you're talking about, you came from the, you came from the PNW, you know, you came from the Pacific Northwest, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah. And I came from the Great Lakes. So we're used to fishing anadromous fish in rivers that are pretty high gradient, but they're, it's obvious the, the holes, the runs, the holding water is obvious. 
and you know you're, you'll camp on a you'll camp on a run or a hole for hours and just keep working it in different ways. And a lot of times you're doing it with a crowd, but that's neither here nor there. But you get out here to these western rivers, and almost without exception, some of the best fish I've caught have come out of the most unlikely looking spots at first. Now I look for those spots. You know what you're talking about the Cameron Flats area. I look for water like that now because I know that what it holds. And this summer down on down in, down here in Wyoming on the Bighorn, if you weren't fishing shallow in a couple for a couple week period, if you weren't fishing shallow or at least that first drop off the shallow, man, you were missing the best fish because those really big browns were up shallow and it was it's unreal and i i think they like that shallow water because they can ambush predator they can ambush prey in that shallow water pretty pretty effectively and i think that prey has a hard time getting away from them in that shallow water they can it's almost like they can corral it easier in shallow water i don't know if that's if that's right but man that sure seems to be the case for me because last summer especially was was just it was almost ridiculous you'd You'd roll the boat up to a riffle and be like, all right, get ready. Uh, yep, cast, you know, cast 5 o'clock, 52, 52 feet, strip, strip, bang, he's on. Yep, there you go. You know, it was it was nuts. And it was time after time after time like that. And those fish wanted to be up in the shallowest water. It was crazy. Man, that's how Absolutely they're – crazy. The... Go ahead. No, it's, it's, for a Michigan guy, that's mind-blowing because those fish don't move up into that shallow water until it gets dark. They just they won't do it, and I think it's because of I think it's because of pressure and predation. That's I think that's just the way it is. And these western rivers, there's enough real estate for them to spread out on those big flats, and they're very comfortable out there. Yeah, right now in like the top end of the Madison up there, like it can be crazy good fishing. Like you can still have a hundred fish day up there, but right now you can't wow. have a hundred fish day nymphing in my standard nymphing techniques where I go lightweight. I go like a maybe a four foot leader, maybe one BB, something like that. So a real lightweight setup, but you can't reach those fish because they're all in the flats. They're all in that that flat water with barely any current. And so I went with a couple guys fishing like a couple years ago up there and they just killed them. They caught five to one what I caught. And I was mm. fishing all the runs and the heat and all the stuff that I'm used to fishing. And I was turning up good fish, but they were just killing them. And they were fishing actually like a, like a, a chubby, you know, like a dry fly chubby on sure. top and actually getting a couple on the chubby, I think maybe hitting it for a squalor or something. But they, what they were really right. fishing was a rubber leg underneath, no weight on it. And like a, uh, maybe a 12 to 18, 18 inch leader with a rubber leg on there and they throw it in the shallowest water and all those flats in there and they just started killing them. And so I started fishing that way like this time of year and took my dad up there and man, my dad just killed, he caught 20 or 30 one day, just killed him. But, but exactly what you're saying, like sitting in that shallow flat water that you can't fish a normal nymph tomb, like you've got to fish that, that, you know, that dry fly or maybe even an indicator and then 12 to 18 inches with no weight. So you can get in that shallow and get a drift in there and you just kill him this time of year. So I've got a question to ask you. You referred to, you just kind of said something that, I, it's not a secret, but it's, I think it's, I don't think a lot of guys do it. I think a lot of guys nymph with standard nymphing rigs where they have a, an indicator, you know, 
however long between your indicator and your shot and then a fly or two, you know, whatever you run. I, I always run my big, my big heavy fly on point and then my small fly after that. Here in Wyoming, we can run three, three flies in Wyoming. Um, it gets to be a mess, especially when the wind comes up. But uh, I usually stick with running two um, for preferences. But obviously if you're fishing those big deep runs and the kind of, I call it winter water down here, a lot of our fish will pile up in that slow, that deep, slow winter water, and there'll be pods of fish in there. And so you're, you're nymphing through them or you're, or you're swinging uh, flies through them, you know, you're swinging streamers with, you know, maybe, a, maybe a nymph or a, or a soft tackle or something on the back or a leech. But uh, if, if I don't have to fish real deep, uh, with a nymph rig, um, I have totally gone, totally thrown away the indicator. I, I hate fishing. I, I, I don't, I shouldn't say hate it. It's not my preferred method. Indicator nymphing is not my preferred method. I'd rather throw drives or streamers. I think a lot of guys feel that way. Um, but there's just times, especially this time of year where you, you gotta be nymphing, you know, you're either nymphing or you're not going to be catching very many fish. And, but what I've gone to is exactly what you said is that chubby setup where I'll run a big, ugly dry fly as my indicator. And sometime knowing that I could fish that thing for two months and not have a fish eat it. But when a fish does come up to eat it, it just makes your day. And whether it's in those shallow flats or, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, being able to drop a nymph rig below that is, pretty awesome and and i've gotten to the point brian where i'll even drop a nymph rig five feet four or five feet below a chubby and and use it like an in like a regular indicator and every now and then and even in the winter time you'll get a fish to come up and take a whack at it and so i don't know what do you what do you think about that is that something that you see more guys doing but that's a that's a guiding trick that i picked up all on the sheridan side because a lot of the water we fished was was small and it was deep, it was high gradient, and I fish would eat it would eat a dry fly, but a lot of times they had to have a nymph. And if you're running, if you were running a 16 to 20 inch leader or dropper off your dry, you weren't going to get down to them. So you had to run not only a longer dropper, but sometimes you can put some weight on it. Yeah, um, I, I do. I like running a dropper on that rig, and it it does like there is a a stigma behind like uh, fishing with an indicator as it is, you know, fishing a bobber pretty much, but it, it just shows where the bottom is. Now I'm, I am a nymph. I right. love running nymph runs. I, there's a technical yeah. side to getting a true dead drift to your bugs where you can just light them up on that rig when you got it right. And there's so many ways to adjust it from leader length. And like you were saying, you know, I'm always measuring from my indicator to my weight and I'm trying to fish as light and it is, as little a leader length as I can. A lot of times those fish will come up and eat it, but even just a BB or sometimes I'll fish a sculpin and use the weight of that and then trail that and dead drift it as well. Um, but right. but see, I, I, I like nymphing just because so much of the year here in Montana, that's what we're faced with. That's what I'm faced with a lot of times steelheading, although we do swing runs. And, and I love streamers with weighted lines. It's just tough to get those right now those fish are so cold they're just not chasing that well right. they're just sitting in their lines but um 
man, I really like it. I got out with dad the other day and you were talking about reading water and the Madison is a funny river to read. Of course, you've got your edges and your cup banks and deep water and stuff that you can read. But the best water in the Madison are those center runs that are kind of tougher to pick out. Maybe the guides don't know about it. And just like you said, once you find them in there, you key into that water, the speed, the depth, whatever it is. And I found this spot this winter. It's honestly like right off from the put-in, like where you drop your drift, your boat in. And I was fishing. I've always done good down that bank, and I was out there in the wintertime by myself with my dog. And I was kind of just looking at the water, and it all kind of dumps in here to the put-in. And it was maybe 20 feet out. I was able to wade out and kind of find the edge of that drop-off where it came down, and I just crushed them in there. There was a bunch of big browns sitting in there, like, you know. A couple fish over 22, and it was just light them up, you know. It was just good fishing. And like like you say, sometimes it's just reading that water and finding that drop. And it's no accident when there's a fish there or a big fish laying there. He's laying there because he likes it for some reason. And so it's like every fish you catch or hook or see come up in a spot – it's like taking mental note of that, and it helps you like like tap into that river and where the fish are sitting and what they're doing right now. It seems like. I uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's that's interesting about the nymph thing, and and I don't mean to I don't mean to you know badmouth it or anything. Um, it's just after so many years, I'm kind of it's not my preferred method, but I completely understand what you're saying. When you want to go out and dial it, when you get technical and get it dialed in it is rewarding it's super rewarding especially when the bite's been tough if you can figure out that bite on a nymph rig and you're and you start hooking fish and you're landing fish it's like okay yeah this is fun this is fun you know uh the tug is the drug you know whether you're swinging flies whether you're fishing ripping streamers whether you're dead drifting nymph rigs or skating dry flies or floating dry flies down a bank we're all after that same thing and it's that fish on the end of your line and how you get it in the end you know um is is what it's you know your, your preferred method you were talking about you know finding a specific piece of water and really getting after it that being able to read that water is so key and i'm glad to glad to hear that i'm not the only person that just goes out and randomly walks riverbanks with their lab looking at the river (laughs) (laughs) definitely not the only one i thought i was weird i thought i was weird for a while and my wife's like what'd you do and did you fish and i'm like not really i had a rod in my hand but i was more look looking at the water studying it trying to figure out okay you know where do i need to get in here um where do i need to do this and some days, some days it's just therapeutic to walk down the riverbank, you know? Oh, I love it. Heal up the dog and go. A run or a walk down the riverbank reading water. And it, like 20 years of fishing this river, I'm still learning every day on this river. Like, and oh, I think it's yeah. the reason why I love bow hunting. It's the reason why I love fly fishing is it's this continuous cycle of trying to improve and get better and, and learn more. You're constantly gaining information and figuring things out. The challenge of it, I still get my butt kicked here and there, you know, and, and those are humbling and just trying to, just trying to figure out where you can get into them. And, and, and you're the same as a lot of guys. Like I have buddies, 
that I've never seen fish a nymph rig. My buddy Charlie, I've never seen him throw a nymph, but he guides nymph fishermen a hundred days a year going down the water. I mean, dry flies too and things, but it's the easiest way for guides to catch fish with clients because you put on that indicator and you can float down and now he can fish those lines with those things, but there really is an art to yeah. it, to the mend, hitting the seams right, uh, uh, getting that good presentation, l- leader length, weight. Like when you're really tapped into it, boy, you sure get them, and you get good fish too. Like you're able to fish big rubber legs and big leeches. I'm able to dead drift sculpin, and like right now, dead drifting a sculpin can be deadly. Those fish are getting hungry and starting to warm up, and maybe they're not chasing like the summertime. But you throw a dead drifted sculpin that comes right down their lane right at them, they can't help themselves. Those big fish just eat it, you know. And so, like, I, I like I like nymphin. Um, I got my dad out the other day. We got into him good in a new spot. Uh, we went to the spot that I just told you about where all the water dumped in, and I caught one fish there was it. And so, like, I told dad, well, let's just go walking down the bank. I know this hole that I've fished a couple times, and I've got him out of a drift boat going down. We walked down there. And it was like you said, that wintertime hole, and it was the perfect speed. It was just kind of not stopped, not moving quick, but just that slow-moving speed and about two to four feet in depth in there. And, man, they were just laying in there. And it was really good for Dad. You know, he's caught some fish this winter, t- this winter, but he hasn't really got into them like that. And we didn't catch anything giant, but I bet you he caught a handful of fish that were like that 16 to 20 or whatever. I just love nice. how efficient that rig can be when they're eating it. And we got them off rubber legs, off leeches. Dad's got a little copper johnny uses, like uh, San Juan worms. I mean, you know, all the nymphs, but we just found the fish down there. But, yeah, I, I just, like you say, the tug is the drug. And I I love nymphing. I love throwing streamers. I love fro- throwing dry flies. It just all has to do with the conditions and, and what the water is going to give you. Oh, absolutely. That, you know, Brian, you just hit that nail on the head. Absolutely. And I, like I said, I don't mean to sound like some purist or snob because I'm not. Because you just you just said something that is absolutely key. You take what you're given when you're on the water. And if the conditions dictate that you throw a nymph rig, then that's how you fish. You know, and that's that's how you get it done. At the end of the day, that's what I'm going to do. If, if, I, if the fish are lethargic and they're not going to move for a streamer and they're the chances of catching on a dry fly are nil i still want to catch fish and so i'm gonna i'm gonna fish that nymph rig absolutely and having that skill set to be able to do it all is important and i'll ask you this how long did it take you to develop the skill sets that you have that you can go from a nymph rig to throw in a streamer to throw in a dry fly with a dropper or just maybe maybe just a dry fly because here in a few weeks we're going to be looking at that spring betis hatch and that's a delicate delicate game and you're looking at some pretty big heads that come up and eat size 16 and 18 blue winged olives and you go from chucking big heavy nymph rigs all winter long to the first couple fish that you hook up on on the on the uh, on 4x on a size 18 blue winged olive I don't know about you, but I end up popping that fly out about about half the time because I'm <laughs> I'm used I'm used to leaning on them. So, how long does it take you to develop the skill set where you can go back and forth? Because it's it seems like everybody starts doing one thing and then they kind of progress gradually as they master different techniques. Yeah, that's a really good point, Todd. 
Yeah, you're right. It it takes a while to develop those skill sets to be able to go back and forth and just the knowledge base to have confidence in your rig that it's going to catch fish. And so I think for me, it's just like really getting into it when it's good. And so when that's dry flies, like like really falling in love with the, the March brown hatches, falling in love with, you know, the salmon flies or squalas, falling in love and, and then going out day after day, you know, evening after evening after work or whatever the case is, throwing that dry fly and watching a fish come up on your dry fly and eat it and just in for the fight of your life on that dry fly. And so that hooks me. And now that's what I want to see. And it's good right now and so like i just get really hooked on that type of fishing you know streamers was the summer i bought my drift boat and and all of a sudden i was really into throwing streamers from the boat and weighted lines and figuring out how to swing it down below me figuring out how to how to cast towards the bank and swim it by those rocks or behind those rocks and swim it hey you know picking up the skill set of looking in the water and looking for flashes or, or fish chasing that streamer so like a summer of that and I was hooked on that and then you know and then nymphing you know I've been hooked on nymphing for for fall and for spring and then steelhead it just works so good where you go for a week long and all you're doing is this technical nymphing and I've had I've taken guys steelheading that are that are guides on rivers and really good fishermen and I take them nymph fishing for steelhead down there and it's an art to get that true dead drift and to get that eat and <laughs> and I'll catch them five to one just because I have that technical nymphing and they're guides and and maybe even better than me with a fly rod but i've developed that nymphing skill to be able to make that true dead drift and get the men's in the right places and do that extended drift way down below me to really cover the water and all of a sudden i've got a steelhead on and so like i think it's just different times where i've got really hooked on that technique and i spend the time to figure it out but man it it's years it's like uh it's like it's such a challenging sport it you, you don't get it on your first day. You don't get it on your first week or even your first year. Like it takes years of putting in your time uh, to, to figure out those skill sets and to figure out those rivers too. Seems like it takes a while to dial into a river, doesn't it? Fish are fish, but they act different oh, in different yeah. streams. No, you're absolutely right. When I, when I first moved to Thermopolis, um, the first summer that my wife and I lived there was the first year we were married. Um, <clears throat> I guided on the other side of the mountain on the Sheridan side and I guided there all summer long and I was going back and forth and I was sleeping on a buddy's couch over there and that kind of thing because I didn't, she's like, well, why don't you start guiding on this river? And I said, I don't know it. I don't know this thing well enough at all. I need, I need at least a year, maybe two before I would feel comfortable actually taking people out and claiming, well, yeah, I'm, you're going to pay me money to go catch fish. I, I wasn't comfortable with that. I needed some time. And um, yeah, it took me probably a year and a half on that river. And I bought a boat and learned how learned, learned fly. I mean, fly patterns, good grief. You're talking about some of the stuff that you're nymphing with. If I'm throwing that on some of our rivers down here, I'm not going to get bit because our, 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 a lot of our rivers that we're fishing this time of year, our tailwaters um and i mean the madison technically is a tailwater too but it fishes like a freestone um where our rivers a lot of our streams down here that we're fishing early they don't fish like freestones they fish like tailwaters you're fishing shrimp and you're fishing uh scuds and sow bugs and leeches and annelids and midge larva tons of midge larva and uh blue and got betas nymphs and 
that makes up a large portion of those fish's diet almost year round. And it changes periodically through the year, but yeah, man, years, years just to learn a river. Um, I don't feel like even, even after guiding on the bighorn down here, I don't feel like I know it as well as I'd like to. I know sections of it, but as far as knowing it, like there's some guys that live there and they really, really hammer that water. And they're guiding on it a lot more than I am. And those guys know it. You know, they, those are the guys that if I were to say, yeah, you, you want to go learn this river, you need to talk to these fellas because they're the ones that really, really know it. But the Madison, same thing. And we're, we're talking about the Madison. Is it's, what, it's a water that you and I have in common. And I'll bet, I mean, I caught fish when I first started fishing it. But, man, I don't think I felt like I had the Madison really figured out and dialed um, until I'd fished for probably several years of, of fishing it. And that was only fishing it a couple weeks of the year. And it was fishing the same sections at the same times, trying to figure out certain aspects. And I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of days on the Madison where I scratched my head and – Lately, I've had a little streak up there where I've been doing better. Hopefully, that continues, you know, but you feel like you get some stuff figured out. But, yeah, man, I'd say years and years and years yeah, before seen... you really know a river. And and then about the time you think you got it figured out, you get a high, you get a really, really high water year or something, and it shifts the deck. It shuffles the deck, and <laughs> you got to start over, you know. Everything's changing. <laughs> yeah, that's totally what it is. And I know what you're talking about, those guides on the big hole um gosh there's some guides that that i float down this river with and i've been fishing this river for the last 20 years and know it pretty well but i go down with some of these guys and some of their lines and some of the place places they get trout that i haven't even thought of that i floated by a hundred times and i fish the left bank and they're fishing the the center or something like that you you pick up so much knowledge by fishing with other people they just see things differently and even even guys that aren't guides on that river, just just two guys that like to fly fish going down the river. It's amazing the information you pick up from that. No, absolutely. If you're not if you're not learning something every time you fish with somebody new, you got an ego problem because you should be literally learning. You should be paying attention and learning something. Whether you're flat out asking questions, hey, why'd you do that, or what do you think about this you're either flat out asking questions or you're just keeping your mouth shut and your eyes open and you're watching and learning. I don't think there's an, I don't think, especially in our day and age, there's not enough of that. And I've I've probably older generations have said the same thing forever, but man, I try, I make it a point to learn from people. You know, I, when we were in the boat together the first time I was watching you and I even asked a few times, Hey, you know, why'd you do that? Or what what are you doing here? Cause I want to know. You know, any little any little piece of info that I can glean from someone else is going to make me a better fisherman. And in turn, that's a piece of information that I can share with somebody else further down the road. So I don't know, maybe I'm too, maybe I'm just too social or that's the teacher in me. But uh, I, I like fishing with new people just because it's fun to learn from them. Yeah, that is the fun part. Is we're we're all on our personal journeys, and yeah, there's something to be learned from everybody out there, from a beginner to an end fisherman, you know, to 
to to guide to to weekend warrior to there's something to be gained and everybody does it a touch different you'd think it'd all be the exact same but everybody i fish with fishes a little bit different has a little bit different throw a little bit different drift or looks at water just a touch different so yeah there's something to be learned from everybody um and i think being you know, a student gotta, of the gotta, game go ahead yeah no i just wanted to to add to what you just said about everybody does it a little bit differently. When you said that, I immediately thought of um, uh, a client of mine um, that I had. I haven't seen him in in years, but I actually, on my desk here in my office, I actually have two paintings of this man. You can't tell it's him, but one of the other guys that we, he was a, he was a, a return client that was there. He booked weeks and weeks and weeks out of the year with us and wanted to fish the same water. And he was, he was old. And I don't even know if this gentleman is still alive. Um, that's terrible of me, but the other, one of the other guys is a painter and he actually painted this man in dirt, certain situations. And because I guided him so much, I can look at those paintings and I know exactly who that guy is. Um, it's like, yeah, man, that's Jerry. Jerry had a way of fishing dry flies but especially chubbies and hoppers that as a guide drove me nuts he jerry was in his 80s i mean early 80s when i first started guiding him and brian there were days that we'd catch six fish and he'd look at me we'd be fishing for like 45 minutes and he goes let's go get some ice cream <laughs> you know it didn't, it didn't matter with him at the, anymore but he just was all about the experience but he he'd get up to a a hole and he would you know most of the time when you're fishing a when you're fishing a dry fly you think drag free drift you know that thing's got to be floating just perfect but obviously there's some variations of that with hoppers and stoneflies you could move them around and a lot of times if you're not twitching them around you're not going to get bit but jerry would like pull them through the hole like a boat like a little toy boat on the end of the line and i i mean at first when i first started doing this i guided him that first year i'm like I would start. I started to say something. I remember it vividly. I started to say something about, you know, man, you, you, we can't. It's got to be drag free. Bam, and he's got a brown trout on, a nice brown trout. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, then it got to the point where mouth shut, eyes open, and I'm watching him how he fishes, and he's catching fish, dragging that chubby around the hole, like it's like it's a little toy boat on a string, <laughs> and that's how he fished it all the time, Brian. And the dude. Blade. I mean, he. It didn't matter. He catch fish like crazy, and he could throw a drag free drift. I mean, you put on a, you know, we evening hatches where there'd be some PMDs or something coming off or whatever, and he could he could tie on a you know a parachute pattern and dead and dead drift it perfect. But he loved playing with that chubby or you know playing with it with playing with that hopper or that chubby Chernobyl, dragging it around, and the fish would smack it. And I'll be darned if I haven't tried some of that, and it works. <laughs> it's like, I don't know how, how, what a fish thinks when a stonefly is literally swimming upstream against the current, creating a wake, but I've had some nice fish come up and smack it, and I wouldn't have learned that from if, if I went and paid attention to Jerry. And it was crazy, 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 crazy to some of the stuff that you see. But this goes to show there's, like you said, everybody's got their own way of doing it. 
yeah, I I fished with a buddy the other day that was throwing a streamer. You know, the fish aren't chasing real good, but um, looking for those big ones. You get it right in front of their face, they'll eat it. And so he's throwing a streamer. Oh, yeah. And I'm watching him. And, you know, I, I mess a lot with um, uh, my retrieve, you know, depending on the water, whether it's a fast retrieve, slow retrieve, uh, whether you're swinging it down into a deep run, um, you know, just a multitude of different situations you use a streamer in. But he has this – he strips it, and then he pops his rod a little bit, strips it and pops his rod, almost Ooh. like a guy with a Rapala rod, how he reels and pops and reels and pops, kind of like that. It, it was a lot – like I'd yeah. never seen it before. And, yeah, he was getting fish on that thing with that pop. So, like, you're, I, I've never learned at all about fly fishing. Like, you always learn something new by fishing with new guys. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, if you, as long as you're paying attention. That's interesting about the pop, though. That's um, I, I have a tendency to put a little English on the rod when I'm fishing streamers, too. Um, one of the things that I like to do is throw – I'll get a fly moving pretty fast downstream, short, quick little strips, and it's moving pretty good, and I'll throw an upstream mend in it and just stall it. And it'll just be like, poop, and it'll just hang there in the current. And a lot of times, if it's, especially with the deer hair pattern, um, it'll start to rise back up. But it fishes, like you said, almost like a suspending Rapala. And, man, I don't know how many times I've thrown that upstream men in that streamer retrieve and pause that thing for a second, and just it gets clocked. It's like they're, they don't want to chase it, but all of a sudden, oh, it's going to hang there, and it's half dead? I'll eat it now. Uh, it's bizarre. But I don't even know where I learned that. But. It's wild, yeah. That that man, I know exactly what you're talking about. It suspends it there. Sometimes, if you're if it's not a deer hair, it it drops it. It almost dives deeper into like a deep run. Right. But yeah, I'm I'm with you. Yeah, and the streamer, like we all just get our different feel. But I love that when you're working that bank line and that fish is going to be in that first five feet. Like I won't even strip. I'll just throw it in the pocket and then I'll just kind of swim it with my rod, swim it, pulsing mm-hmm. it out. You know, and then I pick it up and I slap it again, you know, four feet down in another section and swim it by there, you know, but that, that quick swim off the bank like that, man, I've caught a lot of fish doing that. Yeah. It's just a big trigger, you know, is is all it is. And there was a fish last summer that I didn't actually get to eat, but I thought, man, I thought he was going to. And I did that same trick. I was fishing a, um, I was fishing a dungeon and Dan Picard from um beyond the grid and i were fishing and he saw this fish rise it came up and looked at his looked at his hopper and it refused to rise on it and he threw it in there a few more times and nothing and then i saw it come up and actually eat something off the surface big head and tail rise this fish was giant and i was like man i gotta try i gotta throw a streamer at that fish so ran back to the boat grabbed grabbed a streamer rod threw it out there And exactly what you're saying, I knew that fish was just off the bank, and I smacked it above him and just pulled it. And he exploded off the bank, and I thought he was going to eat it, but he didn't. He put his nose right on it, and as fast as I could strip, he was just awake behind that thing, like a muskie. Like my old Great Lakes days fishing, you know, fishing the muskies, it was just like that. And wouldn't eat it, but chased that streamer all the way to my feet. And then saw me and turned and swam back real kind of caught kind of casually, actually. And I threw it in again and he kind of half heartedly looked at it, but it was more, I honestly think he was, 
he was territorially just pushing that streamer out of his space. I don't think he had any intention of eating that thing. He was just like, nope, going to get it out of here, which makes me wonder if I'd have thrown that hover, that hover mend in there if he would have eaten it. But mm-hmm. I was so, I was so um, caught up in the moment of him right with his nose right on it, giving, leaving that big wake that all I could do was strip. Oh. Well, and I love fly fishing. Uh, it's like bow hunting. You get your one shot at an, at an animal. And I'll try not. I know I mentioned bow hunting about three times in this fishing podcast, but I can't help but right, relate the up, two. Man. But it's like these high pressure moments of throwing that right cast or that right strip or when you do hook that fish, making the right moves. I love those high pressure moments in the front in the front of the boat. And and you talk about the excitement of stripping that thing in. Like the most exciting fish I caught last year, or the most exciting fish I was a part of was your fish that you hooked on that lower float in the Madison. God, that was a fun fish. And I did think that fish was bigger than he was, but you threw it in this, like, uh, you, you fished it. It was this corner run, and the water got really deep in there and swirled around, but the water's fast coming by it. It was a really tough shot, yeah. and we got the boat there, and you got the drift in there, got your men's in and just swam it down, and right about to the log jam, that big brown ate that thing, and we saw the size of it, and he was just full of fight, and you were into the fight of your life on that thing. Like I think he ended up being like what a solid like twenty three, twenty four inch brand, like just a really good colored up one. But you hooked that thing, and I remember he dove straight to the depths, and you were fighting him hard. And then you grabbed the, grabbed the. Um, we were going down quick water, about ready to hit some rapids, and you grabbed the net and you were trying to stretch. But it was just such a big fish, and with the fly rod, didn't quite have it. And so, like, I called an audible. I said, hey, pass me the net. And I slid the oars in, and we made this long reach for him and dipped him, like, right before we got to the rapids. And I remember I was shaking like a leaf, and I pulled over. It was like shooting a great big bull. And we pulled over, like, right in front of a couple guys. (laughs) We hadn't seen anybody all day. And then hooked that great fish, and we pulled over and grabbed a couple photos of that fish. And kind of, I always say, like, bathed with him, like, just had him in the water and got our strength back but what a beautiful specimen of of a fish but that was my favorite fish of last year todd was that one you caught yeah that's awesome it that that memory just listening to you talk about it is from a different perspective i mean i obviously remember it pretty much the same way but it's interesting to listen to how somebody else perceives it too but yeah that fish was a stud and that was a cool spot and you talk about the fight of your life i mean i literally I literally had that, that rod maxed. I, I could not put any more torque on that rod to keep that fish out of that log jam. And it was, I, and I remember, I'm like, I'm either going to break this rod or I'm going to turn this fish. And he, it was like 100% maximum effort strain. And all of a sudden he, he turned. And when he turned, then he swung downstream which is the time that I hate the most because you get those great big fish downstream of you and then they start head shaking, throwing that big maw around. And how many times have you seen a fly pop out as you're trying to get them in the net downstream of the boat or downstream of, uh, as you're waiting? And I actually remember sticking the rod in the water and trying to keep his head down, you know, and, and not let him roll like that and thrash on the surface. Yeah, and then, like you said, you called the audible and, and slipped him in the net and was a little touchy there for a second, but we got it done. And and then what is it with big browns 
when they just, after you fight them, a lot of times they'll just lay there at your feet after you let them go. And you just can sit there and have a moment with them and watch them, watch them get their strength back. And then all of a sudden, they, it's like you'll look away for a second, you look back, and they're gone. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess we're done here. But um, that fish was super memorable for me. And up until the point where my wife put in at her best fish of her life in the boat last summer in August, that was my most memorable fish too. But there was one night down on the Bighorn um, here in Wyoming when fishing hoppers that my wife caught a brown and I did not put it on the tape, but I weighed it real quick and it was over. It was just a touch over seven pounds. Wow. And yeah. And I'm, so I'm sure that fish was, was, you know, 24, maybe somewhere in that, in that 26 range, but I, that's a, that's a big fish. You know, you don't want to get too carried away, <laughs> but I have a photo of her. I have a photo of her with it. My two little girls are leaning out of the boat. You know, she's in the, she's, you know, in the shallow ripple holding this fish and my two kids are touching its head and fish is a giant. And honestly, that fish made the biggest mistake that I've ever seen a big brown make. He grabbed the, he grabbed this hopper in a perfect drop off, perfect spillover below a big riffle. And then he went cartwheeling down the river real quick, panicked and jumped into a, jumped into a big weed mat. And he was, he was literally like sticking, his tail was sticking up out of the water. He was head first in this, in these weeds and he was stuck. And I, I like took off, ran down there and netted this fish, scooped him up with probably 10 pounds of salad in the net with him and dug him out of there for the photo. But it was like, nope, if you're going to make a mistake, I'm not going to let you recover and get away. <laughs> yeah, well, and there's some fish that you don't care. You get the best out of them. And it's like, man, I got a good fight. He got off. No big deal. But a fish like that, like a 20... 20 whatever but a big next level fish those are the ones you want to touch and feel and see and see how wide yeah. he is in his back and just bathe with him a little bit and enjoy it but man how cool and, and what a great thing about fly fishing what a great thing to end on todd is that this is something you've got a young family my family's getting older but this is something i can do with them i can get my wife out on these adventures i can get my girls out on these adventures i can get them with a fly rod in their hands and fishing this it's something that we can bond over and do for years to come as they grow older and move out of the house. And so I think that's I think that's another reason why I really love it. It's so easy to share with friends and family, and it's a way for me to really spend quality time and have these adventures with my family throughout the summer and spring and fall and things. Man, it's so much fun. No, oh, you're, you're absolutely right, Brian. You know, that's uh... – one of the best things about fly fishing is that it's accessible. You know, you can, you can spend a little bit of money and get into it with no knowledge and grow and learn and, you know, change up your gear and the, the sky's the limit. I mean, there is no, there is no, um, yeah, you're, you're just spot on. I'm, I'm lost for words there because you said it so perfectly, but, the family component of it for me is huge. You know, my girls are too little to, to really start cast, to cast a fly rod yet, but you can bet that when daddy hooks up, he's got the rod in their hand and they're cranking on the handle, on the real handle, trying to get the fish in. You know, they spend a lot of time in the drift boat with me. They spend a lot of time in the mountains chasing little brookies and cutthroats and, 
probably the best fishing day I had all year last year was we went, uh, my wife and my two little girls and I hiked into this mountain stream and it's just polluted with brook trout, just, just overrun. And they, they had a ball watching my wife and I catch fish and, and then they got to handle them. And we kept, I don't know, we kept a dozen or so and took them home and we ate them and man, the looks on their little faces to see the whole process to go from the hike in, then the catching fish, then the hike out, looking forward to eating those fish and then cooking them up and watching those little kids dive into those brook trout. That's what it was. That's the best part of it for me, you know, and I love getting out and chasing and going head hunting and chasing trophies, but I love just as much that family time with fly rod in my hand. That's a ball. Man, that's it. That's exactly right. Well, um, we've got a lot of fishing in our future, Todd. Uh, we're going to hit the Madison, the big hole this year over here on the on the Montana side. I'm going to make my way over to the to the Wyoming side and fish with you down there. Um, man, so you're my editor over there at Eastman's. You do such a great job in that position. You run the, the Wingman brand for Eastman's, and you've really grown that uh, uh, into this, this awesome property for Eastman's. Um, you, you're a really good, uh, wing shooter. You're just as good a fly fisherman and big game hunter. So man, I just always love chatting with you on the phone. And so, uh, you're going to be a major component of this podcast. I hope you know that. No, I, I, that would be my pleasure, man. That was when we first started talking about this, um, I was hoping that I'd get to be, get to be a big part of it because it's, Fly fishing is something that's near and dear to my heart, and I love talking about it. It's it's a fun time. I think I like talking about it almost as much as I like doing it. So I'm looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to a lot of time together this summer. Yeah, well, thank you, sir. I appreciate you. We'll keep in touch. Thanks, Brian. Take care. Thanks for having me on. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Fun podcast with Todd. Guy gets fired up to fly fish, like me, but fun to talk about, good insight and tactics, and um, it's it's weird how we just develop as individuals in in our fly fishing, uh, you know, based on the rivers we fished and and the knowledge that we've gained, and so yeah, he's got great insight, and I have to take him up on fishing more of those Wyoming rivers. Got that green just south of me, man, that looks like an awesome river to fish. And um, it's like three hours away. The green, the um, Grays River looks like an awesome river to throw a hopper on. Or over in Todd's neck of the woods, take him up on it and uh, go out there. I know Guy Eastman just sick for the streamer too. He loves to throw a big streamer out there. It gets a bunch of good fish. So I got to get out there and fish with those guys as well. But um, yeah, a bunch of great places to go. So... Having fun doing this fly fishing podcast. Um, I've got some great episodes coming up. Super excited about and uh, yeah, just getting better at it. Uh, you know, I've been doing that the hunting side of things for a while now, but the the fly fishing thing, um, it's new and just a little bit different. And trying to find, you know, what, what's going to connect with the audience, what's going to help you guys the most, and just have good conversations that are entertaining. You know, have a few laughs and take our mind off everything that's going on right now. So I'll keep working on that, release you guys some more content. Gosh, I've got one coming up with Wesley White. Um, 
he's been fishing a bunch in South America for Dorado and uh, just all these cool species of fish. It's just an awesome podcast talking about some of the adventures he's had down there and uh, did a good one the other day with um, Drew Baker uh, talking about he's he's fished um, down in Pyramid Lake quite a bit and talks about that but just a diehard fly fisherman lives a little bit like towards western Montana and talk about bull trout a little bit and um, these giant brook trout that he catches so some great episodes coming up so these will be available uh, on the hosting site, Eastman's On The Fly. I'll get everything launched on um, all the different iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, all the different platforms so we can get it out to you guys. Uh, let me know what you think early in the podcast, so um, feedback is welcome and helps out a bunch to, to review and subscribe, um, whatever platform you're using. And uh, appreciate the support. Um, we'll get another one out to you guys and uh, check in with you next week.